You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. All right, James, I have a question for you. I always want to ask this question. Sure, ask away. I felt like every time I read, it takes me a billion years to finish a book. So like when I start a book, I only read one word and then I'm done. And then like, I just can never finish. So wait, does this incur in only English? Like how are you when you're reading a, a book in Malaysian? It's the same in Chinese. There's no language, Malay language or anything? There's, but like, I'm not interested in reading in Malay. Somehow it's more interested in English, reading in English and Chinese, but it's the same. I read one word. My mind's wander, and then I'm like, okay, I guess it's five o'clock now. I'm do something else. It's interesting because think about this podcast. We right. do about 150 podcasts a year, and I've been doing this for eight years, nine years, and this is the, so it's eight and a half years actually since January of 2014. Right. On average, every podcast. The author's written one book. Now, sometimes they've written zero books and sometimes they've written three books. So I'm saying 
on average one. So I have to read a couple of books a week to just keep up with this podcast. Plus, I like to read for enjoyment, so I read more than three books a week. Now, let me just say as a caveat, I don't think people should speed read. I think it's very important to read the entire book. And for this podcast, 90% of the time, I'll read the entire book, plus do other research for each guest. I think it's really important to get the full details and also to show respect for the guest to read the full book. I'm just curious, why shouldn't someone speed read? Like, let's say, you know how people have those weird resolutions? I want to read 60 books in this year type of thing. Yeah. Why shouldn't they speed read all the books and finish the 60 books in like, what, two months? If it's a good writer, fiction or nonfiction, every sentence is there for a reason. Like, let's say it's fiction. Every sentence should move the plot forward. And if you miss a sentence, you're not really fully grasping the beauty and the subtleties of the novel or in, in genre fiction, you're missing some important clues, you know, and some important information that you need for to understand later on in the novel. So particularly for fiction, I don't think anybody should speed read. For okay. nonfiction, if you're just reading a book to absorb the bulk of the information, then it might be okay to speed read. And again, I hardly ever resort to speed reading for a podcast. I can't remember the last time I did it, but there has been occasions where let's say I have five podcasts scheduled in a week. There's no way I could read all the books completely for that week. And I mean, we've been working really hard to avoid that in the scheduling. So it hasn't happened lately, but there are occasions where I've had to speed read the book to get enough information and to get the important information of the book in order to ask interesting questions in the podcast. And again, this is rare and I don't recommend it, particularly for fiction. For fiction, let me just hold off for a second. For fiction, I don't think you should ever speed read. Either read the book or don't read the book because speed mm. read, you're going to miss something. And I, I'm just going to take as an example two important books by Ernest Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway, he writes in this very spare kind of style. He uses as few words as necessary. He, he doesn't use any fancy words. He writes in a very simple style and that's why people love him so much. That's why he won the Nobel Prize. I'm going to just show you an example from his first book. This is just for fiction. This is a, a segue away from speed reading. I'm going to take an example from his very first book, The Sun Also Rises, and then take an example from his very last book, The Movable Feast. So in The Sun Also Rises, there's a chapter that begins, in the morning it was raining. A fog had come over the mountains from the sea. So very simple sentences, just a few words in each sentence. But that phrase, a fog had come over the mountains from the sea, Prior to this point in the book, things were going pretty well for the main character. But after this, it's like almost like a foreshadowing. A fog had come over the mountains from the sea. You read this and you realize later in the book that the fog was not only the weather, but the fog was over the lives of the characters in the book. So it's a very simple example using the weather, using images of kind of like a rainy day and the fog to say that a fog had come over the lives of the characters. And so... If you're skipping around just for the plot, you would have missed this kind of beautiful foreshadowing and so on. And in a movable feast, the very first chapter begins, then there was the bad weather. It would come in one day when the fall was over. We'd have to shut the windows in the night against the rain and the cold wind would strip the leaves from the trees in the Place Contrascarp. And that sentence, then there was the bad weather. Again, life had been good in Paris you know, at the point when the movable feast begins, 
but this is foreshadowing. And then there was the bad weather. Things would not be good after this. And that's how he sets the tone for the rest of the book. So and what I'm saying is in fiction, you should slow read instead of speed read. You should read every sentence and try to figure out the beauty of that sentence when it's a really great writer. And that includes genre fiction. So does that mean that if you want to be a writer, then you shouldn't be speed read at all? Well, if you want to be a writer, you need to read good quality writing and learn from the best. And then you definitely shouldn't speed read. But even if you want to be a good reader, don't speed read fiction. Nonfiction mm. is another story. First off, nonfiction is not always written by the best writers. That's because let's say someone's writing a book about neuroscience. They spent their entire lives trying to get good at neuroscience, not spending their entire lives getting good at writing. So it's natural that their books might not be as well written. So you don't need to kind of hang on to every mm. sentence and figure out its beauty and its meaning and so on. I'm just curious, why don't they hire writers, actual writers? Most of them do, or many people do. They hire mm. ghostwriters. Like we had Josh Lissek right. last week where he described how he specifically ghostwrites nonfiction writers who are experts in their fields. By the way, even if you don't use a ghostwriter, I would recommend if you're an expert in your field, listen to that podcast because he basically talks about how to approach your material if you're the best in the world at what you do. I just wanted to mention that that podcast is episode 1160. It's called So Good They Call You Fake. Yeah, So Good They Call You Fake because people can't believe like a great, like everybody who's the best in the world at something or, or leads an interesting life is living a life outside of the normal routine. And if you're good at expressing what you do and, and what kind of life you lead, then people are going to say, that can't be true. You're a fake. Josh's point is that's when you know you're doing something good, when you're telling the truth and everyone calls you a fake. So if you're a fake and everyone calls you a fake, then you know you're doing a bad job because people can see right through you. So, but back to speed reading. First off, there's a very important statistic, which is, and I'm going to add to this statistic as well. People remember, like how much do you remember from a book on average? First off, people remember about 10% of what they hear. So Jay, if someone's listening to our podcast and then afterwards someone asks, hey, what was that podcast about? The average person could remember about 10% of it, which right. is which is good. You'll you'll remember the important points and you'll be able to make get information out of it. And 10% is a good number. If you read something, you remember about 20% of what you read. And if you look at something, like if you look at a painting or a picture or maybe even a YouTube video, you'll remember about 80% of what you see. So that's why a picture is worth a thousand words. But I don't think that's completely true because what happens is that's only in the first hour or so after you read something, you'll remember 20% of what you read. In the long term, you know, unless you remind yourself every day of what you read, you, what you remember from a book sharply declines. So in the long run, instead of you remember 20% of what you read, you do remember about 2% of what you read in the long run. You read a book today, a month from now, you might remember 2% of what you read. And there's nothing wrong with that either. That's true for everybody. And you're not going to remember a random 2%. You're going to remember the most important 2% of the book that had an effect on you. So even my all-time favorite nonfiction books, in the long run, I'll remember 2% of what the book was about, but it'll be the most important 2%, which is why it's good occasionally to reread books that you, nonfiction books that you love. So again, this is about nonfiction, not fiction, because I don't think it's important 
I don't think you should speed read any fiction book. You should just read the book. Right. But, I'm just curious. What are the books that you most reread? Well, I'll reread fiction books all the time because yeah, but there's what, very few there's very few fiction books that are like, let's say, in the top. Like, let's say, you know, I read fiction books not only to enjoy them but also to learn from them as a writer. Like, I want to read the best fiction books and learn from them. And every time I read a great fiction book, then I'm going to learn more, even if I've read it a hundred times. There are some fiction books I've read over 200 times just right. because I learned to be a writer and, and I get better as a writer. But, but nonfiction books, I've said, I, I say we have, we have had most of the authors, like Matt Ridley, he's somebody I oh, always yes. reread, uh, you know, he, The Rational Optimist, The Evolution of Everything. He's been a podcast guest. I've often read his books. That, that's just an example. Ryan Holiday, Robert Greene. Robert Greene, I'll, I'll, I've reread every single one of his books at least three or four times. Uh, and there's many others. Like very, There's some very good nonfiction books out there that I don't want to pick out too many because I don't want anybody to think I've left them off. But I would say most of our podcast guests have written such great nonfiction books that I try to reread them occasionally so I could learn more from them. But let's say we have six podcasts we're recording in a week and each one of the guests have written two books and I've got to read all of them. I'm probably going to, and that hasn't happened to us in at least a year, but I'm probably going to have to speed read some of those books. Now, there are official techniques. I say official because these are the techniques that are taught in schools and stuff. There are techniques to speed read that are known out there. I don't agree with any of those techniques. And my technique for oh. speed reading is very different from the usual techniques from speed reading. So one technique for speed reading is called the pointer method. And this is the most popular method. And the method is essentially use your finger as a pointer while you read and move your finger very fast because your eyes will tend to follow your finger and you'll read very fast. Or, or use an index card to cover up the sentences after the sentence you're reading, but you move the index card down very fast and your eyes will follow the index card. And you, that what happens is then your eyes get used to reading three or four words at a time and absorbing the meaning, and you'll read very fast. Okay. This method I, is awful. I hate this method. I, I'm just curious. So it, I, I'm sure there's a speed reading contest out there, right? I'm sure there's speed reading con uh, competitions or whatever. Uh, probably, and then maybe you're quizzed. And yeah. and I will say here here's the thing about speed reading is that when the average person reads about let's call it 240 words per minute. So 240 words is about two thirds of a page. The average page is like 300 to 400 words in a page. God. And so again, the average person reads about 240 words per minute and a speed reader, like, like a top-notch speed reader using the method I just described, the, the pointer method, will read about a thousand, the, a great speed reader will read about a thousand words per minute. So about three pages per minute. Do they ever burn their finger just reading it that fast? There must be paper no, cut, No, because right? you, could, you don't have to like touch the page. You just, you just use your finger as a pointer oh. and, and your eyes, and you practice reading as fast as the, and so what happens is you chunk the words. Gotcha. So if, you know, the sentence says, you know, there have been 46 presidents, the last president is Joe Biden. And on, instead of just reading that one word at a time, you get used to reading three mm. or four words at a time because the, that's how fast the pointer gotcha. is moving. I would imagine like, you know, like the 
the champion of the speed reader has like callus on their finger. Only one finger have callus because they have to. They have no, to no, you can use a pointer or anything, or you can use an index card. Uh, but again, I think this is a right. very bad method, and mm. I don't agree with it. And I don't think it increases your under like the method I'm about to describe is is a method I sort of developed on my own, right? Out of at, because I was forced to read so many books fast, particularly when I first started podcasting, and. Uh, and I got very good at it, but again, what? I don't like to do it. But uh, but I get I, I got good at it. What and is it bad using the the pointer? Because I don't think you actually learn more, mm. and I think it's also very stressful. Like imagine, like you're constantly feeling like stressed. Oh my god, I have to keep up with the pointer. I have to keep up with the pointer. Uh, so I think actually you learn and remember less from the book when you speed read. And the method I'm about to describe, you could potentially even learn more than twenty percent. From a book, you know, they say again, the average reader learns about twenty percent of what they read. I would say I learn more like thirty or forty percent the first time through. Again, my memory will degrade just like anyone else's after I've read the book and and a couple of days go by or a couple of weeks go by. I'll go down to what everybody goes down to, which is about two percent. And but with my method, I've I figured out that I actually in the short term learn a lot more. And if I spend even a little bit more time in the very, very short term, I'll learn up to 50% of what's in the book, which is more than enough to do a podcast with the information. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb... I could be making money on that right now by hosting and, and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there and it's an e it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side by side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But... It was four plane rides, like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when you know, 
you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I was just talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see, you'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop, really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Okay, so let me just describe my method and then maybe I can describe some examples. My method is what's called a fractal. So what's a fractal? A fractal is this idea from chaos theory that some pattern emerges, but on whether it's a book or an object or a picture, there's some pattern. But even if you magnify the image, you'll still see the exact same pattern. And if you magnify it like a thousand times even more and look, you'll still see the same pattern. So no matter mm. how much you magnify an image, you'll see the same pattern. And I'm going to describe what I mean. So my method works if you're trying to read a book, but the exact same method works if you're trying to read a chapter of the book or a paragraph of the book. You could still learn using the exact same method I'm described. You'll learn what a paragraph said just as easily as you could learn what a chapter said, just as easily as you could learn what the entire book said. So you'll see what I mean in a second. So here's the method. Basically, if you only have five minutes or 10 minutes to read an entire book, and this is going to seem kind of obvious, but if you only have 10 minutes to read an entire book, you obviously can't read it. You can't even skim it. But here's what you do. Read the first chapter and read the last chapter. Because in a nonfiction book, the first chapter always describes what the book is about and why they wrote the book. They might be writing a book about, I'll use James Clear's Atomic Habits as an example. Great book, by the way. People should read the entire book. There's no excuse not to read the entire book unless you're rushing for a podcast. 
but I'll just use this as an example. I just, I randomly picked it off knowing that we were going to do this podcast later. I randomly picked this book off the bookshelf, decided to see if my speed reading technique would work on it. Basically in most nonfiction books, the very first chapter gives a little bit of a, a story why the author decided to write this book or why the author felt he needed to write this book. And there's usually a little story involved and then there's a summary. And then often the very first chapter in a nonfiction book gives a brief overview of what every chapter is about. So they pretty much already spoiled the book before you read the book. Not, not spoil. Like they'll say something like in the book, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. And this is essentially the book which helped him win the Nobel Prize in economics. So he'll say in the introduction, the first chapter, this book is divided into five parts. Part one represents the basic elements of blah, blah, blah. Part two updates the study of blah, blah, blah. Part three does this. Part four is this. Part five is this. So basically in, in Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow, the introduction talks about uh, his background a little bit. He talks about how people make very easy mistakes sometimes. So why do they make these mistakes? And what's the difference between thinking fast and thinking slow? Basically in chapter one, he talks about there are two systems of thinking. System one, system one operates automatically and quickly. System two, for more difficult thinking activities, it allocates attention from different parts of the brain, it allocates resources from different parts of the brain to focus on the problem. And this is more difficult thinking. System two is slower thinking. System one is fast thinking. And then he gives examples. A system one example, answer to two plus two equals, and your intuition kicks in, you instantly think four. But system two might be, uh, what's 17 times 24? Then you have to kind of use more resources and more energy in the brain. So that's system two thinking. System one thinking, um, if you have to, you have to answer which object is more distant than another object. It's very fast. Oh, that tree in the distance is closer, that chair in my office. And so that's system one. System two is, um, you know, fill out a tax form. That's system two. Like you usually have to think about it. It takes more time and so on. Sometimes when system two happens, the whole point of the book is it takes shortcuts called cognitive biases. Or like with illusions, we use kind of shortcuts to determine, we don't take out a ruler and measure two images to see which one's bigger. We use shortcuts and sometimes we're fooled by optical illusions um, because the cognitive bias is taken. So you read the first chapter and then you read the last chapter. So the last chapter is obviously usually a summary or a conclusion of everything you read. And it might have a story as well, or it might refer back to other stories. So that is, and that's it. If you just read the first chapter and the last chapter uh, of, of a book, like the last chapter of Thinking Fast and Slow. By the way, Thinking Fast and Slow is almost 500 pages. It's uh, in some cases a complex book. In some cases, it's a little easier to read, but it's essentially it's written by academics. So it's, it's more complex than easy. If you just read the first chapter and the last chapter of Thinking Fast and Slow, and you're at a a cocktail party after work and anyone asks, Hey, does anyone, did anyone hear someone's trying to brag saying, they say, did anyone hear thinking, read thinking fast and slow by Daniel Kahneman? You could always say, Oh yeah, I read it. Uh, system one versus system two thinking. And you could describe very easily what system one and system two is. You could talk about different cognitive biases. You could give examples. Let me ask you this, James. Does it work on biography though? Or like a history type of, uh, nonfiction? Absolutely. Because a history will still have 
an introduction, like why this period in history is important. Mm -hmm. And it'll also have a conclusion, which is what did you learn? Summary of the big things you learned. Don't forget a, his a history book is usually just not chapter one, this happened, chapter two, then this happened, chapter three, then this happened. There's usually a reason why they're writing a history book. Like let's say a book is about World War I. It's not gonna just be a history of World War I. It'll be World War I set the stage for America to become the dominant mm. superpower of the world for the next hundred years. So there'll be an introduction which describes World War I and the major events of World War I that catapulted the US to being a dominant superpower. And then the conclusion will go over those major events and why they made the US to be a dominant superpower. And so, yes, you can get the gist of most biographies and histories. I, I can't say 100% because I haven't read 100% of the books. Hold on a second. Let me get like a biography and I will tell you if right. I'm going to pick a random biography. Hold on. This is the, the house of a writer, right? Like writer and reader. You can just like, hey, let me pick out random thing real quick. Let me pick up random books real quick. Yeah, although although back in 2015, when I threw out all my belongings or, or you know, got rid of all my belongings, right. I also got rid of all my books. So it's just in the past year since I got this new house that I've been rebuilding my books. But I, I picked out randomly a book that was right behind me, Jay Shetty's book, Think Like a Monk. So Jay Shetty essentially wrote a sort of memoir of his experiences and what he learned as a monk. The book is three over 300 pages long. And I never read it because I got it in anticipation. You know, I've been on Jay's podcast and I thought maybe Jay would come on my podcast, but he didn't really do that many podcasts when the book came out and whatever, it never happened. Okay, I'm, I'm looking at, so I've never read this book. So I'm looking at the very first page and it says, when I was 18 years old, in my first year of college at Cass Business School in London, one of my friends asked me to go with him to hear a monk give a talk. I resisted. Why would I want to go hear some monk? And then he says, third, third paragraph, I often went to see CEOs, celebrities, and other successful people lecture on campus, but I had zero interest in a monk. I preferred to hear speakers who'd actually accomplished things in life. Okay, so just from these three paragraphs, what have we learned? Well, Jay, you tell me, what have we learned in these first three paragraphs? Uh, he only listened to people that are successful, and then he has some sort of judgmental mind that like, you think that monk's not, uh, you know, successful. And eventually he's going to be monk because that's how like usually story plays out, right? Well, the book's titled Think Like a Monk. <laughs> yeah. So we assume at some point he learned to think like a monk, whether he right. became a monk or he interviewed monks. We don't, we technically don't know that yet if we don't know anything about Jay. But there's a lot of things I will point out about these first three paragraphs. First off, you have to respect when a good writer writes something, every sentence is important. As Kurt Vonnegut once said, Every sentence must either give you more information about a character or must move the plot forward. So, so we know he's 18 years old, so he's fairly young, he's, and he's at the Cass Business School. So that tells me a lot. He's at a, he wants to be a businessman. He wants to be rich. So he went to business school instead of some other kind of college. In the second line, it says, I resisted. Why would I want to go hear some monk? So now we know two things from that. One is we think about the arc of the hero. So in the arc of the hero, uh. The hero in the very first section is reluctant to go on an adventure. So Luke Skywalker is reluctant. He wants to explore space. He wants to be a, a, a you know a pilot in space. But his uncle tells him, uh, you know, you have to work on the farm another year at least. So he's 
he's reluctant to go on to, and then Obi-Wan Kenobi says later to him, you have to go save the empire or rescue the princess. And he says, I can't do that. He's reluctant because I've got to help my, I promised my uncle. So every hero is a reluctant hero at first. So Jay Shetty is saying, I resisted. Why would I want to go here some monk? And he describes even further. He likes to see CEOs, celebrities. He defines success by money or fame. He uses the example of CEOs and celebrities. What do, CEOs usually have money, and they're usually leaders of some sort. And celebrities are famous. That's why they're celebrities. And then he even further underlines that he had zero interest in a monk. And then he further underlines it, doesn't think a monk accomplished anything. He says, I prefer to hear speakers who actually accomplish things in life. And so you learn a lot from the first three paragraphs. So now what I also can guess from these first three paragraphs is obviously he's wrong, okay? Because the arc of the hero usually turns the opposite of reluctant later. So we have to assume based on the title in these first three paragraphs that he's going to completely reverse his opinion about monks. And then his friend persisted and finally said, as long as we go to a bar afterwards, I'm in. But he says, but that night, as I listened to the monk talk about his experience, I fell in love. His head was shaved. He wore a saffron robe. He was intelligent, eloquent, and charismatic. So, and, and he says that he spoke about the principle of selfless sacrifice. When he said that we should plant trees, I felt an unfamiliar thrill run through my body. I was especially impressed when I found out he'd been a student at IIT Bombay, which is the MIT of India, nearly impossible to get into. He traded that opportunity to become a monk, walking away from everything that my friends and I were chasing. Either he was crazy or he was onto something. So I almost don't even have to read any more of the first chapter. I know what this book is going to be. We're not talking about super speed reading. We're just talking about speed reading. So if you continue reading this first chapter, and I'm just kind of now moving along, I see he has examples of Matthew Ricard, who's labeled the world's happiest man, was a, was a biologist, and then he became some sort of monk. Again, I'm not trying to speed read right here, but he, he became a Buddhist monk. Then he talks about how he, he didn't grow up in an ashram. He had a very normal upbringing. He talks about Albert Einstein said, if you can't explain something simply, you don't understand it well enough. So he's starting to bring in stories of other people maybe had a monk way of thinking. And then nonfiction writers will often do something to help you speed read. They'll have charts and diagrams. Remember, you, you remember 80% of what you see versus 20% of what you read. So right in the chapter one, in the introduction, Jay Shetty has a chart which lists the differences between the monkey mind and the monk mind. So the monkey mind overthinks and procrastinates. The monk mind analyzes and articulates. The monkey mind is distracted by small things. The monk mind is disciplined. The monkey mind focuses on short-term gratification. The monk mind looks at long-term. And Mm. then, of course, Jay decides to become a monk. And he says, I vividly remember my first day of monk school. I had just shaved my head, but I wasn't wearing robes yet. And I still looked like I was from London. We know later on in the book, we're going to learn all about his experiences in monk school. Finally, he puts in bold, remember the visual, how would a monk think about life? This may not be a question you ask yourself right now, he says, probably isn't close at all, but it will be by the end of the book. So now we know, we have a guide. This first chapter tells us everything we're going to learn from the book. We're going to learn how a monk thinks, and we're going to learn Jay's first experiences getting into the mindset of a monk. And we learn his story about 
Einstein, about Matthew Ricard. There's a few other people I didn't mention. We're going to remember this chart between the monkey mind and the monk mind. We already have enough information that potentially if Jay Shetty was in five minutes going to be on this podcast, we have a, a good start about what questions to ask. Now I could look at the table of contents. Okay, this is a little bit more. No, let, let's not look at the table of contents yet. Let's just go immediately to the last chapter. I said mm -hmm. the first thing to be a super speed reader is read just the first and last chapter. So the conclusion, which is the last chapter, I hope this book has inspired you. And that's in the first sentence. And then he has a, a section, and it's in bold, the monk method. So he gives a technique for that monks, I guess, use for meditation and visualization. And it's a whole steps one through 12. And then he has a section, how to know if it's working. And then he says, try this, two death meditations. And that's a, a, a section in, in gray and bold. So it stands out. So basically, if I read this conclusion, and, and by the way, I haven't read the conclusion. I just read these, these highlighted points. Uh, and he, already, he also has stories about Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid. I'm, I'm, I'm just seeing what stands out as I skim through this. Life begins with breath. So I know the meditation techniques are going to be related to how you use your breath. And then why does he want to do death meditations? You know, oh, I read this section here. How long will it take me to attain enlightenment? The teacher replied, 10 years. Um, but what if I work very hard? The teacher says, 20 years. So again, I haven't read the conclusion, but just from even the small sections of the introduction and the conclusion that I read, almost have enough information to interview Jay Shetty. I can in, I right. could talk to him about his early life and, and what was different from being in monk school. I could also talk about why is death meditation important? Why is breath meditation important? By the way, if I wanted to not read anything else in the book, have a really great interview with let's say Jay Shetty based on this book, I'll look at the back cover. Oh, I see Will Smith made a blurb. Oh, how do, how'd you get Will Smith to write a blurb? Deepak Chopra write a, wrote a blurb. By the way, two people who have been on our podcast wrote a blurb, uh, Ariana Huffington and Robert Waldinger. Remember Robert Waldinger came oh, on? Oh, yeah. Yeah, to talk about... Um, happiness. Yeah, happiness, right. He, Robert says, grab this book, find a comfortable chair, Jay guides us with warmth and clarity on a path to greater joy and purpose. So you learn a lot about the book from what these people are saying are, were the important things to them. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Uh, let me ask you this. So like you said, the first chapter and the last chapter, and then you fill in the blank sort of, right? 
Well, well, no, you don't have to fill in any blanks. Like if I had truly read the first chapter and the last chapter, I would mm-hmm. know a lot more. I would know. Right. I'm not saying that is enough to know what is in the book, but just reading the first chapter and the last chapter, I probably know at least 10%, maybe even more of mm-hmm. what the book's about, what points the book's making, what else is in the book. And then I'm about to interview Jay, let's say, because I'm, let's say I'm speed reading this for a podcast. You know, I'll have him fill in the blanks. I'm just curious, like, well, let's say if I don't have to interview anyone, like I wonder if filling the blanks sort of like a bad terms, it's more like your intuitions kind of know what the book is about. Is it, is it from experience, your experience of reading so many books? No, no? because okay. let's say I've never read a book on Buddhism or, or, or Hinduism or whatever kind of monk he was. I, if I, again, if I read the first chapter, I would have, there's several stories in the first chapter. I didn't go through them. There's Matthew Ricard's story. There's Garanga Das's story. There's Albert Einstein, the Bhavagad Gita. There's Jay's experience with reading the Bhavagad Gita before and after he became a monk. And there's also this chart, monkey mind versus monk mind. So I'm going to think about, like if all you did was read this ch- first chapter, it says monkey mind. The, the, the person with monkey mind is self-centered and obsessed. The monk mind, the person does self-care in order to be of more service. The monkey mind person looks for pleasure. The monk mind looks for meaning. So you're actually going to understand, and then you're going to see about his first day at monk school. So you're going to learn a little bit what monk school is like. you know. And then he already starts in the first chapter. He says, when we're born, the first thing we must do is breathe. And then in the, I see in the last chapter, in the conclusion, he talks about a breath meditation. He has other stories. And there's a, there's stuff of the... Uh, in the last chapter, I didn't mention there's a the Vedic personality test and so on. Also, if I wanted to spend a few more minutes on the book, I can read the table of contents. Part one is about letting go. So letting go of your identity, your negativity, your fear, your intention, and he gives a breathing meditation. The second part, part two, is called grow. And it's, it talks about per, how you find your purpose, what's your routine, how you cleanse the mind, how you get rid of your ego. And then there's a meditation called visualize. And then the part three is called give. Gratitude, relationships, service. So from all of this, if you truly read, and again, I'm only summarizing the first chapter. I didn't read it. I'm only summarizing the conclusion. But even with what I just described to you about the first chapter, the last chapter, and the table of contents, you already have a sense of what the book is about. You probably know about 10% of the book, maybe even 15%, which is close to what you would know about the book even after you read the whole thing. So now this is part one of speed reading. If you only had 20 minutes to get, if you want, let's say you're going to, uh, okay, this is what I am ashamed to admit. This is what I used to do all the way back in like, let's say 2009. I'm about to go on a date with somebody and I look up what their interests are on Facebook I would go to the bookstore and I would, if all I did was pick out five books about their interests and read the first chapter and the last chapter of the table of contents and maybe even skim through and find a story in the middle that I could quote, then boom, I could talk about their interests almost as if I've read the entire book. They wouldn't be able to tell if I've read the entire book or not because it's normal for people to forget parts of the book. And Or if I was going to a cocktail party and people were talking about being a monk I could already talk about, you know, at least cocktail party level, you know, Jay Shetty's biography of of what he learned, what how he became a monk, and 
uh, learn to be a monk. Now, if I wanted to be a little bit more sophisticated, and I, I haven't spoken about the fractal aspect yet, but if I wanted to be a little bit more sophisticated, of course, read the table of contents, but it's good to look at the acknowledgements, um, actually, when you speed read, because then I know, you know how these different people helped him. Um, so he thanks, for instance, the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies, and specifically Shanaka Rishi Das for assisting in verifying our sources and credits. Thank you, Lori Santos, for her kindness in connecting me with research on monks by some of the world's leading scientists. So this may or may not give me information, but for instance, I know Lori Santos teaches the very famous course at Yale about happiness. And so I know that part of his quest towards becoming a monk was that he became a happier person, most likely. And also he thanks the Dalai Lama. So, so he says, he basically thanks the Dalai Lama for meeting him and so on. And then here's another thing I will look at. I'll kind of just open up randomly to the middle of the book and I'll try to find one story. So like on page 117, um, there's a story, Joseph Campbell. We just quoted the Ark of the Hero, which was developed by Joseph Campbell. And growing up, Joseph Campbell had no model. This is what's on page 117. Growing up, Joseph Campbell had no model of a career that fit his diverse interests. As a child in the early 1900s, he became fascinated by Native American culture and studied everything he could about it. During college, he became entranced with the rituals and symbols of Catholicism. While studying abroad, his interests expanded to include the theories of Jung and Freud, and on and on. So what basically, and I'm just skimming along here about Joseph Campbell, but why would he write about Joseph Campbell in his quest to become a monk and then describe what he learned becoming a monk? First off, what Joseph Campbell discovered was that whether he was looking at Native American culture or Jung and Freud or um, you know Joseph Campbell's interest in art or Joseph Campbell's interest in religion, what Joseph Campbell noticed was that every kind of storytelling, whether it's religious or from psychiatry or from art, they all have the same structure. So if I was talking to Jay, I would say something like, you know, talk a little bit about the relationship between all stories and, and how Joseph Campbell discovered the arc of the hero in all stories and how it applies to being a monk. That would be an interesting thing to see how Jay connects being a monk to how, to how all religions developed and even how art developed and how theories about the mind developed. So if you just kind of skim over a few stories on random pages, you're going to even have more information about the book. So if you're at a cocktail party later and you want to prove you read a book, you could say, oh, on page 117, when he talks about Joseph Campbell, he figures out how, you know, what he found from being a monk, you can find in every religious tradition. It's common to all men, just like the arc of the hero is, and on and on. So that's the very basic, if you only had 10 to 20 minutes to read a book, this is speed reading. So a speed reader, if you use the pointer method I described earlier, a speed reader can read a thousand words a minute. But using my method right now, and knowing the fact that the average person only rem remembers 10 to 20% of a book, you could speed read 60,000. This, this book here, uh, it's like 300 pages. This book here is about 80,000 words. So you could speed read 80,000 words essentially just using the simple technique I just described. Now, there's one more step, which is this idea that's a fractal. So I'm going to turn to a random chapter 
And so what I mean again by fractal is that I could read the first chapter of a book and the last chapter of a book, and I could tell you essentially what's the book book is about, what the conclusions of the book. And then, by the way, if I read the table of contents and I focus on the highlighted parts in the chapters I read, then I'll even be able to tell you more about the book. But now I'm going to open up to a random chapter here, chapter five, purpose. And so how do I read this, speed read this chapter? Let's say I don't want to read the whole chapter. It's, uh, let me see how many pages it is. It starts on page 93. It goes to page 120, 122. So it's almost 30 pages. So here's how you speed read a chapter, a 30-page chapter. I would read the first one to three paragraphs, and I would read the last page, the, the last one to three paragraphs. And so again, that is just as powerful as reading the first chapter of the book and the last chapter of the book. If I want to know, so this chapter's purpose and his first paragraph, roughly, I'll just skim it. Being a monk looks like it's fundamentally about letting go. Like you shave your head, you strip away all distractions, you give away your things, you wear robes. It's not just about letting go. He says, second paragraph is we spent our days in service. In the course of the service, we weren't supposed to gravitate to our favorite ways to serve, but rather to help out wherever and however it was needed. You know, you do chores, you do cooking, cleaning, gardening, meditating, caring for the cows, studying, praying, teaching. So, oh, now I understand that a monk is not just about surrendering your old life and going into this monastic kind of life, but it's also about service. And so since the title of the chapter is purpose, I'm assuming that service is going to somehow lead to purpose. And now, and then in the third paragraph, he says, look, it becomes clear though, that each of us had natural affinities. One person, one monk might be drawn to tending the animals. Another might take pleasure in cooking. Another might get great satisfaction from gardening. So you know, why do we have these natural affinities? And I'll go to the fourth paragraph here. Basically, you find what your natural affinities are. You know that service is important. So that starts to become, you know, your, your, your purpose in life is that what the kind of service you enjoyed was cooking. It becomes a compass towards what your real purpose in life is, which is to serve, but maybe you can best serve humanity through cooking or through teaching or whatever. And he says, exploring our strengths and weaknesses in the self-contained universe of the ashram helped lead each of us to our dharma. And dharma roughly means your calling. Now, hmm. let's go to the very last chapter. It's 30 pages later. He says, remember the whole equation of dharma. Dharma isn't just passion and skills. Dharma is passion in the service of others. Your passion is for you, but your purpose for others. Your passion becomes a purpose when you use it to serve. Okay, I just read a few sentences from the last page. The last page also includes the story of a woman, Emma Slade, who gives a TED talk about service. She became a Buddhist nun for a while, and it goes into her whole thing, um, and it describes how she found her purpose. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But you see now, I was able to skip 30 pages just by reading the, the first page and the last page. I read two pages out of 30, so about 8% of the chapter. But I basically could tell you what this chapter is about, and I could discuss it with anybody at a cocktail party, and I could even learn from it. Like I didn't know that that's how a monk necessarily finds their purpose. And by the way, I've been on meditation retreats and so on, and it brings, we all have some experiences we can relate to, and it were, this particular section just reminded me of how the monks at this meditation retreat lived and, and so on. So I just speed read a, a chapter. I, spe I speed read in a very superficial way, the book, 
by reading the first and last chapter. Now I speed read this chapter uh, in the middle by reading the first page and the last page, the first three paragraphs and the last three paragraphs. What if I wanted to read the whole book, but I didn't, I still didn't have time. I only had a couple of days. I would speed read each paragraph and you probably know what I'm already going to say. How do you speed read a paragraph? Read the first sentence and the last sentence. So I'm going to take a random paragraph in the middle of a random chapter. So there is a chapter called intention and I'm going to just read a random paragraph. I've never read this book before. I've never read this paragraph before. The paragraph starts, the best way to research the work required to fulfill your intention is to look for role models. And then the last sentence of this paragraph is, focus especially on what they did at your stage in order to get where they are now. Okay, so if there's someone I admired and I want to figure out my way to figure out what my life's intention is, the best way to research the work required to fill your intention is to look for role models. So let's say there's someone I admired. I can look for, you know, let's say Gandhi. He His life's meaning was to stop the oppression that was happening in India and focus especially on what they did at your stage in order to get where they are now. Well, he started doing these sit-ins and he started, he had a whole philosophy of peaceful protest. Now I've taken an important lesson from this chapter by speed reading this paragraph and finding for myself what a good example is. And presumably, by the way, I've also read the first page of this chapter, you know, so I know what in intention means and so on. So essentially, that's the basic technique for speed reading an entire book. Read the first and last chapter. Um, and then if you want to go further, read the first and last page of every chapter. Right. And if you want to go further, further, read the first and last sentence of every paragraph. Now, in nonfiction books, like I mentioned earlier, there's a technique, the, the author usually helps you. So there are charts and other techniques. So in the chapter on breathe, I see that in gray and in bold, there is a section called try this breath work. And so he gives a whole exercise for breath work. So if I really want to understand this section breathe or this chapter called breathe, I'll probably read the first page and then I'll read this kind of section that is highlighted. Uh, here's a chapter on fear. And he says, try this, rate your fear. And that's highlighted. So essentially, just then, we didn't even read the first and last chapter. We didn't even read the chapter on purpose. But already, we probably know enough about this book that we just speed read 80,000 words in a few minutes. And I wasn't even really speed reading. I was just kind of skimming the parts, at just show as an example what's, what kind of results speed reading could give. But now I know enough. I understand a little bit about what it's like, it sounds ludicrous to say, but I know a little bit about what Jay Shetty learned on his quest towards being a monk. I learned why he decided to become a monk, more or less. I learned about breath work. I learned about finding your intention and finding your purpose in life, all from you mildly using this speed reading technique. And it works. Now, if I really wanted to enjoy this book and get all the information, I would read the entire book. But if right. I had to go to a cocktail party with Jay Shetty in 15 minutes, maybe I would use this technique. Or if I had to do a podcast with him yeah. and I forgot to read the book, maybe I would use this technique to do that. I'm just curious. So do you find it, I don't know if you ever done this, like do you find that you retain more information after you speed read a book and then you go back and reread it again? Well, first off, when you speed read, by the way, you might even remember more than if you've read the book. And why oh. is that? Because 
you only have to focus on 10 things as opposed to right. 200 things. There might be 200 great points that Jay makes in the book, and then you might forget some of them. But I'm pretty sure right now I could tell you 100% of the points that I just, right. in, by quote unquote, roughly speed reading this book. Right. So it could be the case that you remember more. But again, if you're very excited about a subject and you read the whole book and it's very inspirational to you, you might read more. But no mm -hmm. matter what, short-term memory degrades. And the only way it goes from short-term memory to long-term memory is if you repeat, meaning you read it over, or maybe I listen to the, my own podcast that I did with him, or if I love the subject, I'm more likely to form myelin, which is thicker connections between neurons. I might form a thicker connection between the neurons about this topic by reading this book because I love the topic, hypothetically, uh, if I love the topic. Memory is really more about repetition and mm. how much you love something. And then you're more likely to remember more. But in this case, because I don't have, when you speed read, you don't have to remember as many things. I'm more likely to remember the fewer things I read rather than reading the whole book, particularly if I'm not interested in a topic. Right. Let me ask you, can you speed read the article? Like if you use the same technique with the article, does it work? Well, let me ask you that question. How I describe speed reading, can I speed read an article? I think you could, but like, I felt like article has like, a lot more. So let's say if you if it's not academic, like let's say if it's a newsletter article, they will have random stats in there. Like, so does that mean like take your technique, you just break it down to a smaller scale, treating one article as in like it's whole book, and then just focus well, the first. An, an article might be like a chapter in a book. Here's here's the speed reading technique for an article: read the first paragraph, read the whole first paragraph, read the whole last paragraph. Mm -hmm. Maybe read the second paragraph too. I don't know. Or maybe read the second to last paragraph as well. It depends on how the article is. Then, what's the next speed reading technique? Read the first sentence and the last sentence of every paragraph in the article. And read anything that's highlighted. So I guarantee mm. you, if there's a statistic and it's important, it'll be highlighted or it'll be in the first sentence or the last sentence of a paragraph or it'll be in the introduction the, the, uh, or the conclusion of the article. So yes, you can absolutely speed read an article. I'm looking at the website for The Atlantic Magazine. Okay, and I'm going to pick a random article. It's about some 60 Minutes correspondent named Lara Logan. And the first sentence is, Lara Logan was once a respected 60 Minutes correspondent. Now she trades in conspiracy theories that even far-right media disavow. What happened? So now I know a lot about what this article is about. It's right. about someone named Lara Logan who was a 60 Minutes correspondent. Now she's big into conspiracy theories. Oh, I can't read the end of the article because you have to, you have to be a member, you have to be a subscriber to The Atlantic Magazine. But I'm assuming by the end of the article, the last paragraph, it's going to be a conclusion like, oh, you know, this is how she became a conspiracy theorist. Right. That's basically it. The answer is yes. You could speed read an article the same way. And again, don't forget, in an article, I wouldn't just read the first paragraph and last paragraph. I would also read the first sentence and last sentence of every paragraph. Mm -hmm. Note in the Jay Sherry paragraph that I read, if I, when I read the first sentence and the last sentence, it almost sounded like a complete paragraph by itself. All right. The paragraph was a big paragraph. There were many more sentences, but I didn't have to read any of the other sentences for you to understand completely what that paragraph was about. I think that was in the purpose uh, section. You know what? Because he didn't take your writing course. He didn't write a whole passage and then take out the first paragraph and last paragraph and see if it makes sense. Right. Because then, then you avoid the people who are trying to speed read too. They have to read the whole thing. Now, you leave them on cliffhangers. It's a better way to leave them on cliffhangers so they have to keep reading. Yeah. But so so I will admit, like with with really 
great writers, people who focus their lives on writing, it is much harder to do a speed reading technique on what they're writing because they're going to, so again, like Kurt Vonnegut said, every sentence is going to be important. This is why you cannot, do not rely on any speed reading technique for fiction. Um, like if you have to go to a book club and you didn't read the book, just skip that meeting because you will have not read or really fully understood the book just by speed reading it. Um, right. using that pointer method. That's why that pointer method doesn't really work. That's just, that's a really just stupid scam. method. A scam. And it has that whole stress of you still have to read the whole book, but you just have to train your eyes to read faster. It's stressful to me. Right. Like, oh my God, did I understand what I just read? You're going to have to reread things. Right. So let me break down your technique. So your, essentially your technique is the first and the last, and then... The first and last chapter. No, no, I'm, I'm not putting in numbers. So it's always okay. the first and the last and then numbers and pictures. Right. Not even numbers really. <laughs> pictures. Pictures. Yeah. Picture, pictures. Pictures are things that are highlighted. But again, like the full technique, if you're yeah. reading, if you want to speed read a book, let's say you want to speed read a book in an hour or less, read the first chapter, read the last chapter, the full chapters, read the first paragraph, every chapter in between and the last paragraph of every chapter in between. Then for each paragraph in between those, read the first sentence and the last sentence. If you want to read even faster, skip that last part. Don't read mm. the first sentence and last sentence of every paragraph. Just read the first paragraph and the last paragraph of every chapter. And if you want to be even faster, read only the first chapter and only the last chapter and read any charts that you see. Try to find a random story in the middle so you could refer to something in the middle and read the table of contents and read the blurbs on the back of the book. If you want to read even faster, read just the first paragraph of the first chapter and the last paragraph of the first chapter and the same thing for the conclusion. Read the first paragraph of the conclusion and the last paragraph of the conclusion. And if you want to even read faster, this won't really work. I was going to say just read the table of contents, but that doesn't really tell you anything. You got to at least read the first page and the last page of the book to right. kind of get a feeling, a little feeling. And even that will only work so much. It's very important to read the first full chapter and the last full chapter, and then kind of try to read the first and last paragraph of every chapter in between. Right. But, and again, if you're trying to get a little deeper, read the first sentence and last sentence of every paragraph. And again, read the highlights, read the table of contents, and, and so on. And I guarantee you will know just as much about the book as anybody else who read the book more than a few weeks ago. You might even know more about the book than someone who only has remembered now 10 to 20% of that book. Um, right, yeah, because- just speed read it. Right, because you probably skip a lot of like non-essential things. Right, you skipped a lot of non-essential in information. Also, everything you read is still in your short-term memory. It hasn't yet moved to long-term memory where you're going to drop a lot of stuff. Yeah. And for everybody who's read it more than like a week or two ago, they- have moved the information from short-term to long-term memory, so they might not even remember as many things as you remember if you've just speed-read the book like in the past 24 hours. Right. So this is a valuable technique. I don't like to recommend it. I don't like to do it. I always make sure to read the whole book for everyone on the podcast, but there has been instances where I've had to speed-read. Like, let's say I was on vacation. I just got back. I forgot there was a podcast that afternoon. I'll speed read the book. And I can guarantee you, nobody knows. And I'm not even trying to be like, to cheat the system or to be tricky. 
I legitimately want to know information about the person I'm about to interview, but I might be forced due to circumstances to speed read. I don't use that scan technique because I don't think it's useful and I don't think you'll remember anything, but I, I know where in a book the most important information is and I know how memory works. This is the speed reading technique that works. Again, don't use it for fiction. It doesn't really work for fiction, but it works great for nonfiction. All right. I'm going to start my New Year resolutions like, hey, I want to read 100 books and I'm going to start using it. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I challenge you, Jay, and I challenge all the listeners. Pick three books you'd love to read. Let's say you've never read Robert Greene's book, Mastery. Or let's say you've never read Matt Ridley's book, The Rational Optimist. Go out and buy those two books that you were never planning on reading because they looked too big or you like to read fiction or whatever. For whatever reason, you weren't planning on reading these books. I bet you you could speed read these books and learn a lot of information about them in an hour with the speed reading technique. Do this for an hour a day and you will have read uh, and know just as much as anyone else about 365 books over the next year. With fiction, instead of recommending speed reading, I'm going to recommend slow reading because mm. remember when I gave two examples from Ernest Hemingway's books, it's very important to, to, to read every line and think about why this great writer included this line in the book. Every line will contribute to your feeling of the beauty and wisdom of that book. And that's why if you want to be a better writer and a better reader overall, it's so useful to slow read great fiction by great writers. Whatever your tastes are for fiction, get the best writers and, and get those books and you will become a much better reader even by slow reading one book, thinking about every single sentence and why they wrote that sentence. Yeah. So, and if you want to be good at writing, make sure you take up James' writing course at jamesaldershow.com slash writing. jamesaldershow.com slash writing. Also, didn't we have a choose yourself URL? Yeah, it's also chooseyourselfacademy.com. Yeah, write and publish a book in 30 days, which seems like an impossible task, but I show you in that course how it could be done. And it's really important in many careers and industries to write a book. And also, you know what? It's very healing to write a book about yourself. Like whenever I have a problem or whenever I regret something from the past, it's so valuable for me to just write about it. And it forces me to think about it. But in terms of writing a book, there's a real good career reason to write a book. Let's say two people of equal skill are competing for the same position. Like let's say a consulting gig or a public speaking gig, or even a place in the school of your choice. You have equal skills with your competitor, but you wrote a book and your competitor did not. The person who wrote the book will get the job, the gig, will get accepted to the school, and so on. And here's another important reason to write a book. My great, 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 great grandkids might want to know something about their great, 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 great granddad. And oh, lo and behold, they can read my book and learn how I lived. Even if nobody else reads it, but my great, 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 great grandkids that'll be worth it to me to write a book. So enjoy. You can write a book and publish it in the next 30 days. I also talk about marketing it. That's about that course. That's not what this podcast episode is about. We talked about speed reading, yeah. but I challenge you, find a nonfiction book you've been dying to read, but it looks so big and complex you haven't read it yet. Go out and buy it. Try the speed reading technique. You could tweet me at Jay Altucher and let me know how the speed reading technique worked. Because this, I could tell you, 
I only talk about techniques that I have used that work for me. This works for me. Awesome. Thank you, James. I'm going to use it now. I'm going to start reading a lot more books so that there I can you go. prepare for a I, podcast. Too. Okay. I challenge you to read 300 books over the next year. Okay. I will try. I'm going to hold you to it in a year. Yeah. And then if I lose, we're going to play more checkers. No, we're going to play more checkers right after this podcast is over, Jay. <laughs> yes. Because you won, you won one game out of four or five, and I'm, I still need revenge. I need at least 10 wins <laughs> for every loss. I was so I was so proud, man. I was so proud. Anyway, thanks, James. Thank you, Jay. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.